الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على من لا نبي بعد وبعد الحمد لله We are going to be looking at events covering from the 13th of Sha'ban to the 13th of Ramadan 1436. This corresponds to the entirety of the month of June 2015. There are three major areas that we want to discuss today, and they are firstly, the legalization of homosexuality by the Supreme Court of the United States of America, known as SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. Number two, the growing number of high-profile pedophile cases that involve celebrities and even political figures. And then number three, the change in our Earth. As we know, the BBC reported recently that one leap second has been added to atomic clocks due to the fact that the Earth is slowing down. So we want to speak a little bit about what that means and how we can benefit from such knowledge. Firstly, we want to discuss the legalization of homosexual marriage by the Supreme Court. For those of you that want to really sit and understand the significance of this, you have to firstly examine what the point is of the Supreme Court. The point of the Supreme Court is to define ambiguous areas in American law, sources of American law being the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and the interpretation of the English at the time and the understanding of legal precedent at that time, which would include common law. Not depending upon, but using it as a reference to accessing the English of that time and the legal framework and thoughts that the Founding Fathers would have had in their mind at the time of the pinning of the Constitution, as well as the American Bill of Rights. So its job is not to make laws. That is the legislative branch. The job of SCOTUS, or the Supreme Court of the United States, is to clarify laws. In a landmark 5 to 4, ruling in favor of homosexual marriage it seems that the Supreme Court of the United States has incidentally legislated morality across all 50 states all 50 states what had initially occurred was the states were left to their own devices to decide whether or not they wanted to bring in homosexual marriage 
because the matter is not clearly spelled out in the Constitution. No one wanted to go to the legislative branch in order to amend the Constitution to include an amendment that would either go in favor of marriage or against marriage that involves homosexuality. No one initially wanted to do this. So it was left to the states to decide. Some states decided in favor of, homosex of marriage among homosexualities, hom homosexuals, excuse me. Some did not. So, for example, if someone was in a state that uh, outlawed homosexual marriage or said that the only valid marriage is between a man and a woman, then they would have to cross over into another state or their nearest territory within another state in order to contract a marriage that involved two men or two women. The Supreme Court changed this. One of the ways this change was brought about was through what was called identity politics. And in order to understand identity politics, we have to go back to the original basis of identity politics. I strongly advise anyone that's able to, to read the Dred Scott case, the entire decision that was handed down, the ruling that was given, and to understand this is, this is sort of the beginning of identity politics. Identity politics originally, starting from the Dred Scott case and having its high watermark during the 1960s, was a means that people who are classified as quote-unquote black in the United States used to secure their rights through special legislative acts due to the fact that Americans would not recognize them through the existing Constitution. Specific laws had to be passed protecting them, freeing them, and providing special treatment because through the normal legal channels Americans would not accept someone quote-unquote black being treated with the same deference as someone who was an American. This was the beginning of identity politics. So the basis behind why it was started was the aspiration of a group of people who suffered a terrible amount of discrimination. This is the basis of what happened. They suffered a terrible amount of discrimination. There was the 400 years of slavery, then the Jim Crow, and everything that came after, and then the civil rights uh, movement in an attempt to obtain freedom, or to obtain some measure of equality before the law. This was the purpose of identity politics. But then, identity politics was co-opted by another movement which had been around during that time but had not used the language that was being used by blacks and this was the uh, the, the uh, women's liberation movement and so then the women in the women's liberation movement demanded that they be given special treatment under the law as a protected group 
and that special legislation should be passed protecting them as a specific group. So now you had people that were now defining themselves as a group. They are blacks. And so legally, laws were brought in, amendments were made to deal with a group of people now known as or classifying themselves as blacks, which legally there had been no precedent in law for that. There had only been citizens. Women then came to want to be classified within law, within a framework as women. So they were a special protected group. So then you had citizens, but then you had protected classes within them. The homosexuals are the most recent example of an attempt to use identity politics. None of this would have been possible without identity politics. We're not going to get into whether identity politics is right or wrong, but we have to start off discussing what identity politics is first before we can go into any of that. As I said, I strongly advise you to look at the Dred Scott case because it will give you a lot more fruit, fruit and a lot more food for thought. Now, those who adopted a homosexual lifestyle adopted the same language used by blacks in the beginning of the movement of identity politics. Words such as equality, freedom in front of the law, and other such things were used. This brought to bear that all scientific data and all organizations that had specialized in the study of homosexuality, as well as many other uh, sexual disorders, came under fire. The most successful example was the 1973 decision by the American Psychiatric Association. So much political pressure was put on the American Psychiatric Association, the APA, that they actually deleted the section on homosexuality being a disorder from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM. They settled the issue by declaring in 1973 that homosexuality was normal and deleting that chapter. Now you must keep in mind that the DSM in many copies, still has the chapter on homosexuality in the index section. But when you go to the page number that is indicated, you cannot find it. Now, some would say, well, this is perfectly wonderful because they're finally receiving the just desserts and fruit of what they've worked so hard for. The problem is this. The 1973 removal from the DSM of homosexuality as a sexual disorder, which was sandwiched between uh, transvestitism, uh, transvestitism as well as bestiality, it was sandwiched between those two uh, in most of the original DSMs, that removal was not because there was any change in science. There's been no change in the scientific community regarding this matter. The findings are the same. The information is the same. Nothing has changed. The difference is now 
there was a political movement and a groundswell of support in certain sectors of the American population, which was now able to bring pressure against the APA to force it to remove that from the DSM. That's all that's happened. Now, the APA refuses to work with the National Association of Research and Therapy of Homosexuality, which is NARTH, because they say that NARTH's view is discriminatory against homosexuality because NARTH still maintains, as did the DSM and everyone else before, that homosexuality is a developmental disorder. They still maintain this position. Now you can find this information and more in two very important pieces of research. One is by a Dr. Joseph Nicolosi and Linda Ames Nicolosi in their text, A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality. This is a must-possess text for researching the topic of how homosexuality went from being a disorder to now becoming, as some people have called it, the new black. The next is a 10-CD set. Again, this is no light subject because we have a huge amount of things that are at stake regarding homosexuality. There's a massive amount that's at stake. So we need to do research heavily to understand this topic. The second thing I would advise you to, to get a hold of is a Dr. Janet E. Smith. It's a 10-CD set referred to as Sexual Common Sense. Now, each of these, excuse me, it's 12 CDs. Now, each of these CDs is roughly 90 minutes. But there are texts quoted, there are studies quoted, there are doctor's manuals made reference to, and as Janity Smith is a Catholic theologian, you'll also have religious documentation that is referred to from the Catholic stand standpoint. But the amount of information that's presented is priceless. So however much this costs, I bought it years ago when it was... I believe uh, 10 or 12 pounds, which is around $6. Whatever it costs now, try to obtain it, try to access it, because these this is a piece of literature you cannot do without. A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality is another manual that you cannot do without. Another and a third uh, book that you should obtain is The Science of Desire, the Search for the Gay Gene and the Biology of Behavior. This is by Dean Hamer. This text comes off the back of 1993, 1993 scientific findings that environment has something to say regarding genetics, that there can be an environmental impact on genetics, and that homosexuality is connected to genetics. Now in the 1980s, a number of scientists had said that homosexuality can have something to do with genetics. And that was taken by the homosexual lobby to mean that people are born as homosexuals. And from that time forward, around 1988, 1989, 
people have been moving forward and they will quote this as if it is just a matter of fact. This is the main source text, the gay gene. This is the main source text. That book that I just mentioned, another book called the gay gene. These are the two main source texts that are used by the homosexual lobby to state that homosexuality is the same as heterosexuality, that people are born in this way. So to understand this movement and what you're actually looking at, you need to examine these things and to read them very carefully because you will find after reading these texts that the gay gene and even the author that wrote on these matters in the 1980s, none of them had ever put forward the position that homosexuality was something that one was born with. They stated which can be clearly seen in their books, that homosexuality can be caused and can be affected by the environment and by the environment that one is in. That is what they actually wrote. But I will leave that to you to do your research. But these are things that I want you to think of on the road as we're approaching this discussion about the passing of what is, is tantamount to legislation which is only a ruling by the Supreme Court that homosexual marriage is now to be carried out across all 50 states. It now makes it illegal to refuse to carry out these marriages because it's now carrying the force of law that someone must now conduct homosexual marriages between two men or two women. The ruling passed five to four in favor of homosexual marriage. There were four dissenting voices. One of them was, one dissenting force was, or dissenting voice was, Justice Roberts. C.J. Roberts. Now you can find this online on the supremecourt.gov website. And I want you to take a look at this. On page three of the original PDF copy which is 42 of the dissenting copy 42 of the dissenting ruling I want you to listen to what CJ Roberts is stating he says quote the majority's decision is an act of will not legal judgment the right it announces has no basis in the Constitution or this court's precedent the majority expressly disc dis disclaims judicial caution and omits even a pretense of humility, openly relying on its desire to remake society according to its own new insight into the nature of injustice. As a result, the court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society for millennia. For the Kalahari Bushmen, and the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians, and the Aztecs. Just who do we think we are? It can be tempting for judges to confuse our own preferences with the requirements of the law. But as the court has been reminded throughout our history, the Constitution is made for people of fundamentally differing views. Close quote. This is one of the most powerful statements made in the dissenting statement of Justice C.J. Roberts. In fact, C.J. Roberts felt so strongly about this, in the history of the Supreme Court, there has never been a time 
when a dissenting justice delivered his statement from the bench. But he felt so moved, so overwhelmed, he felt such a burden on his heart that he simply had to deliver his, his ruling at that moment. He goes on to say, in, on page 43, he states, quote, As the court explained two terms ago, until recent years, marriage between a man and a woman no doubt had been thought of by most people as essential to the very definition of that term, and to its role and function throughout the history of civilization. United States v. Windsor, 570 U.S., 2013, Slipshop Option at 13. This universal definition of marriage as the union of a man and a woman is no historical coincidence. Marriage did not come about as a result of a political movement, discovery, disease, war, religious doctrine, or any other moving force of world history. And certainly not as a result of prehistoric decision to exclude lesbians and gays. It arose in the nature of things to meet a vital need, ensuring that children are conceived by a mother and father committed to raising them in, a st in the stable conditions of a lifelong relationship. Please see G. Quayle, A History of Marriage Systems, 2, published 1988, cited from M. Cicero, De Officius, 57, from W. Miller, translated 1913. He states, For since the reproductive instinct is by nature's gift the common possession of all living creatures. The first bond of union is that between husband and wife. The next, that between parents and children. Then we find one home with everything common. The premises supporting this concept of marriage are so fundamental that they rarely require articulation. The human race must procreate to survive. Procreation occurs through sexual relations between a man and a woman. When sexual relations result in the conception of a child, that child's prospects are generally better if the mother and father stay together rather than going their separate ways. Therefore, for the good of children and society, sexual relations that can lead to procreation should occur only between a man and a woman committed to a lasting bond. Society has recognized that bond as marriage. And by bestowing a respected status and material benefits on married couples, Society encourages men and women to conduct sexual relations within marriage rather than without. As one prominent scholar put it, marriage is a socially arranged solution for the problem of getting people to stay together and care for children that, mere, that, that the mere desire for children and the sex that makes children possible does not solve. J.Q. Wilson, The Marriage Problem, number 41, published 2000, 2002. This singular understanding of marriage has prevailed in the United States throughout our history. The majority accepts that, at the time of the nation's founding, marriage was understood to be a voluntary contract between a man and a woman. Early Americans drew heavily on legal scholars like William Blackstone, who regarded marriage between a husband and wife as one of the great relations in private life, and philosophers like John Locke, who described marriage as a voluntary compact between man and woman, centered on its chief end procreation, and the nourishment and support of children. To those who drafted and ratified the Constitution, this conception of marriage and family was given, its structure, its stability, roles, and values accepted by all. The Constitution itself says nothing about marriage, 
and the framers thereby entrusted the states with the whole subject of the domestic relations of husband and wife. Close quote. Now this, it can go on, I mean, this ends on page 45. But the actual dissenting opinion by, Je by Justice C.J. Roberts goes on for more than, more than ten pages. The point of this that he brings up, which was truncated by uh, Justice Thomas as well as Justice Antonin Scalia, is that the changing of the marriage laws and what the court did by almost stepping into a legislative posture wasn't based on any necessity that the states couldn't do themselves, but it was based on a political, it was based on nothing but a political stance. None of the science has changed regarding homosexuality. None of the science has changed regarding the cognitive issues, the physical issues, the psychological issues that are inherent in homosexual relations and couplings. None of that has changed. The only thing that's changed is the groundswell of political support and people's attitudes. But what this represents medically and, psycholo and psychologically has not changed. And this is a major development because homosexuality, which under its many guises now has created an umbrella organization known as the LGBT community, and again, this is the same identity politics language that was used in the black power movement in the 1960s. It's now given a name to itself, it's created umbrella organizations, and it's created political support. So its detractors are denounced, they are attacked, whether physically or politically, or there are petitions that are gathered together to try to break the back of their supporters, to try to get their sponsors pulled. All these types of things are used in identity politics, but have been co-opted by this group now, referring to itself as the LGBT movement. So you need to be very careful and to examine this matter, because <clears throat> anyone staying in the United States will be affected by the long arm of this, and anyone outside of the United States will be impacted because American culture, as of right now, is still the most dominant American culture. Their programs, their music, their other cultural ideas, and even their political opinions are number one throughout the world. They are still the number one arms dealer in the world, and they are still possessing over 300 military bases scattered across the globe and they can still be anywhere within an hour so because of the continued prominence of American civilization um, and I say that advisedly and in quotes because of the continued prominence of American civilization you must appraise yourself of these issues because they're not going away so you have to have yourself ready you have to have a ready mind you have to have a quick wit and you have to have a very well-researched understanding when you discuss this with your children, with other people, and with people who would seek to push the homosexual agenda among Muslims. You have to study these issues carefully because you need to be able to articulate yourself and not make yourself look like, sound like, or be a buffoon or a fool when you talk about these topics. Because as they become more prevalent, you need to be able to defend yourself and your families. 
The second issue is the growing number of high-profile pedophile cases that have involved celebrities as well as politicians. Now, since the Jimmy Savile case in the United States, it has, in many, in many ways, the Jimmy Savile case was sort of the beginning of exposing a hornet's nest to the open air. No one really knew how far this would go. People had looked at the prolific and far-ranging abuses that Savile had unleashed upon children, the elderly, and so forth. But no one could have foreseen not just the not just the grasp that Jimmy Savile had, but also connections of Jimmy Savile, his friends, those that aided and abetted him, and then also even other celebrities, even politicians at the highest levels of government that are implicated in this. And even today, we're still feeling the ripples of that first wave. This issue goes back to an understanding of how we view children and how we view marriage. I would say that this second issue is closely connected to the first one, although we were only talking about uh, the LGBT community in the United States. Uh, I think the uh, homosexuality and other similar perversions are connected. And the claims that were brought forward by victims of murder after sexual orgies and just things that really don't even deserve to be repeated in a gathering such as this. These things that have been done show that there is an undercurrent in society. And this undercurrent is mostly in the hands of the wealthy. And by wealthy, I don't mean the people that you and I might see on television. The wealthy that you and I might see singing songs on music channels or anything such as that. By wealthy, I mean the people that are so wealthy that we don't see those people. These are the people that are so wealthy, they derive their power by not being seen. Not being seen. These are the people that control the record labels, the movie studios, the computer companies, the online chat room businesses. It's these people who we don't see that have been implicated. Many of these names we would have never known until the victims came out and pointed their finger at them and they were forced to come out of the shadows into the clear light of day where they could now be looked at. Prior to then, no one even knew about many of these people. I would say that there is much more to this that we do not see. Because any society that allows secret societies, secret clubs, and a secret underground or a secret undercurrent to form, with without it being answerable to any legal body 
without it being answerable to an informed public. Any time a society allows that, it is certain that the vulnerable will be the first people victimized. If you go back and do your research and look at the 2005 tsunami, you'll find a disproportionate number of people from Scandinavia died in a tsunami that was primarily in the region of Southeast Asia. When people from Bande Aceh were asked about this matter, they explained that because these people had come to molest children. They were pederasts. Pedophiles and pederasts of different qualities that had come from Scandinavia and other parts of the world, but primarily from Scandinavia, to molest children. So this is not something that is only in the United Kingdom with the Jimmy Savile case. It is, it is an underground current. It's something that exists among the madly wealthy who have now attained there comes a point where, where some of those who are madly wealthy have so much wealth, there's nothing left to buy. They've been with all the women that they could ever be with. They have all the cars, every type of car they can purchase. They've visited every single place they can visit. They've had all the furs, all the suits, all the tailored uh, clothing. They have servants, they have maids, they have groundskeepers, they have manors, they have mansions. There's nothing left for the madly rich to do with their wealth, so they look for things to do. Now, it is far easier to carry out, I would say, some of these pedophilic acts, pedophilic acts in Anglo, Anglo, <clears throat> excuse me, Anglo, Anglosphere countries than countries in Southeast Asia and others. It's far easier because what I discussed in lessons before about rampant individualism means that everyone has a right to go where they want to and to go and come as they please without ever mentioning their movements to anyone. In certain societies where people have to tell their parents or they have to gain permission, the parents have a greater knowledge of where the children is. That could be good, that could be bad, but they have a greater knowledge of where they are. So they are more likely to know the whereabouts of their children and when they're missing and when they're due home at a certain time. They're more likely to know these things. In Anglosphere societies, you are less likely to know these if you follow the model of Ang Anglosphere culture which is that the individual is more important than the group. So people will be missing for 24 hours or so before they can be reported missing. And in the United States, at least on the West Coast, you, you, someone has to be missing 24 hours before they can be reported missing. Before the police can even take it seriously. For those who are Muslims that are living in the Anglosphere, you need to be in the know about your children, about the friends that they have, adult and otherwise, and their teachers. If they go to uh, schools that are public schools or comprehensive schools, 
you need to know about their teachers you need to know about what activities they're doing you need to be aware and changes in your children and to make sure the communication is open to where they know that if anything untoward happens or anything dubious that they can come to you and talk to you about it you have to have an open channel of communication with your children the final area that I want to discuss is changes in the world around us on the 30th of June at 1.24 a.m. the BBC News report mentioned that a one leap second has been added to atomic clocks in order to synchronize them as the Earth's rotation is slowing up on account of the gravitational pull of the moon Earth's closest satellite so there are changes happening around us very subtle that we don't see I want you to think with the Earth slowing down and the atomic clocks have had to be adjusted before now we don't always perceive these changes because they're too subtle for us and we're going about our business and living their living our lives but let me give you some examples of how these changes could impact you I'll give some superficial ex I'll give a superficial example and then I'll give a wider example the superficial example is the BBC news if you listen to a BBC news report from 2000 the year 2000 up until 2004 the number of beeps that precede the broadcast are fewer than those now why well because leap seconds have been added to the atomic clocks and those leap seconds have also had to be accounted for in the broadcast so there are a larger number of beeps it seems very superficial but those who have listened to that news broadcast for the duration of their lives or a, a large amount of their time they spend listening to the news can realize that it's taking longer to complete those beeps before the actual newscast begins and the announcer's voice comes and explains what the day's events have been this is something superficial I want you to think about something now that's not so superficial the earth from what we know of geology has the outer mantle has excuse me the crust which our continents are on the outer mantle which is under there the inner mantle the core the inner core and then you have your silicone and or iron mixtured core now when the earth is spinning all of these are spinning in tandem with it and the innermost portion of the earth's core is such that so much pressure is being exerted on this iron silicone core that it's kept as a liquid it can't solidify there's too much pressure on it for it to solidify now this silicone and or iron core 
because the jury's still out on whether it's both or one of them in majority, or whether there's two cores at all. I'm just using what knowledge I have, what I remember from when I took geology. This core then sends out a certain level of heat, and with that heat is accompanied radiation that goes into space and creates a shield that gets twisted and distorted because of heat and other things and acts as a type of shield. So when the sun sends out flares, the flares impact against those flares that have come out from our earth in which the radiation is stronger than that which is on the sun. Every now and then, the solar flares get through those radiation flies, and they hit the second line of defense, which is another level of radiation that the silicone portion of the core is sending out. Then if it gets through that, there's the final level in which we have the atmosphere that is around the Earth. And so there's three levels of defense to protect the planet from being devastated by solar flares and the harmful radiation that comes from the sun. If the Earth starts to slow down, then those levels of radiation will naturally start to decrease. And that's what scientists have been finding, is that more of these solar flares and the impact that they're causing have gotten through, which means more satellites have been knocked down, they've been brought offline, more power stations have been damaged, because now the protection that was had before has lessened by a certain percentage. Another example over time that we should remember besides this is now we have the wind that goes across Earth, which is going due east. This is known as the Coriolis effect. The Earth's rotation and what's happening causes these winds to go due east, and this is known as the Coriolis effect, after the person that discovered this effect. Now the Coriolis effect is affected by the Earth's rotation. And as the Earth has slowed, the wind has lost strength. With the wind losing strength, that also affects tides. So now the tides aren't as great. The wind is not as great. It is slow but imperceptible to us, but it can be felt. So now the Nile, which relies heavily on flooding the silt across, and it relies on the Coriolis effect. It relies on tidal things and all these other, all these other mechanics occurring. It's not as much as it was. Another example of how this slowing can impact things is the cycle of the moon. For those of us that watch the moon when it's born up until the time where it becomes a crescent moon, as the Earth slows, being able to see the moon, going and sighting it, your calculations on the moon are now off by 15 or 20 minutes. So I found myself having to factor in that leap second which can be another 10 or 15 minutes on sighting the moon. And sometimes I've thought that 
the moon is not out or the crescent moon hasn't appeared and then I've waited for another 15 minutes and then it has appeared because there are these delays. The slowing has also caused impacts at the poles of the Earth because as we know the Earth is more egg-shaped so it's sort of flattened at the poles and it's stretched at the sides. And this has impacted the Earth. Now if that goes on and on and on as the Earth slows down there's another thing that could occur. Days can start to become longer and nights shorter. Another thing that is particularly concerning to scientists is this. Let's just say that the Earth slows down to where it undergoes what some scientists have called an inward procession. What this means is that the crust, the two inner cores, and the mantle that are all spinning, they continue to spin, but they spin at different rates. So now they fall out of alignment. If they fall out of alignment, then this could have a major impact on volcanism, earthquakes, because literally the insides of the earth are being torn apart by the different forces. And if the earth slows down enough, the Coriolis effect comes to an end. If the Coriolis effect comes to an end, what does that mean? That means there's no wind left on the planet. If there's no wind left on the planet, there is no pollination at all, because pollen is carried by the wind. Now we're seeing subtle aspects by the slowing of the earth over time. For example, honeybees are fewer. Well, why would honeybees be fewer? Well, because as the earth slows, the Coriolis effect becomes weakened, less pollen to be carried, the bees are slowed, more of them die than normal. And so now we have fewer bees. Why is this important to us? Well, because of the making of honey and most of our fruit and veg is through pollen that's in the air like a fine mist and if this doesn't occur then there's crop failures things becoming uh, crops cease to grow and many other things so these events aren't like <clears throat> excuse me these events aren't light things they're huge imagine this to bring it home to you before closing imagine if every year or imagine, excuse me, imagine if every month when your parents came to wake you up, they woke you up five seconds earlier. Now initially, when you were a little kid, you wouldn't notice this. But as you go on, five seconds every month. Twelve months, that's 60, se that's 60 seconds. That's a minute. So that means you're losing a minute every year. After 10 years, you're losing 10 minutes. Now, if it carries on, now it's 20 minutes. So you're, you're gradually being woken up earlier and earlier. And that's obviously going to have an impact on your sleeping patterns, how long you have REM sleep. It's because it's happening gradually, you don't notice it as much. And by the time you get to a high level where now you're being woken up a whole two hours or an hour earlier, 
you don't even realize what's happened and you become accustomed to what's occurring. That could cause sleep deprivation, it could cause your inability to focus at work because you haven't had enough REM sleep, you could get in a car accident driving to work, you could lose your appetite, you could have excessive weight gain because you're not getting enough sleep for your body to recuperate and this is causing other cells to multiply and all these other things, any number of things could happen. So if you get the opportunity to look at the history of the Earth slowing down, the Coriolis effect, the Earth's core and the radiation that's being sent down, the shields that are protecting the Earth, the Coriolis effect, uh, volcanism, plate tectonics, these things are slowing. They are slowing. And scientists are rightly alarmed. And we should be looking at these things with a careful eye as well. We know what the Lord has in store for us. And so it's not for us to become alarmed, but for us to be mindful, prepared, observant, and also alert of the signs of the time. Of the signs of the times. So with that I say, Aqula Kabli Hada, Astaghfirullah Li Walakum, Astaghfirullah, Inna Allah Rahim Rahim Rahim.